Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their world. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Axiological leadership. Say what? This is the Complete Leader Podcast. Everything you need to become a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, in studio today with Ron Price, the founder of Price Associates. He's worked with leaders and served in a variety of organizations for more than 45 years. He's the author of six books, including his most recent, The Complete Leader, which he co-authored with Randy Lisk. Ron currently serves leaders in several countries, as well as serving as the president CEO of Price Associates. Great to be with you today. It's great to be back again, Dale. And, uh... Before we dive into the topic today, I've got to ask, it's a question that I I often ask uh, the faculty of the Complete Leader on this podcast, what gets you out of bed every morning? And in other words, what makes those feet hit the ground with a level of excitement and enthusiasm? You mean other than a cup of coffee? Exactly. (laughs) I am so privileged. I'm so blessed for the people that I get a chance to work with day in and day out. You know, several years ago, I had a friend who was a uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police for 30 years. He'd been very successful and he retired, and now he was a fishing guide for uh, fly fishing for Atlanta salmon in uh, Newfoundland. And he said to me, Ron, you don't know how spoiled you are. I said, what do you mean, Ken? He said, for 30 years, I worked with criminals. You get to work with leaders every day. And he could not have said it any better. The kind of work that I do is so satisfying because of the fantastic people that you get to work with, people who have done and are doing and will do great things that make a difference in the lives around them. That's the thing that gets me out of bed every morning. Doesn't even feel like work. It does not feel like work. As a matter of fact, sometimes I don't remember to send invoices. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into the topic axiology. Uh, it's going to need a, 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 an explanation, especially for me. What is it, and how does how does it work in in relation to leadership? Yes. Now it is a strange word, and it's actually become one of my favorite words over the last decade. Axiology is one of the five branches of philosophy, and it comes from two words: axios. Anology. So axios is the study of worth, the study of value, and ology, the knowledge of value. So axiology was often called value theory. How do we think about what's important, what's good, what's bad? What really captured my attention with it was when I learned about the work of Robert Hartman, who coined the term or advanced the term formal axiology. Bob Hartman grew up in Germany and he uh, was born in 1910. So he grew up coming into the First World War where he saw some of his relatives sent off to the front and die as German soldiers. And then he uh, got out of college and he got a degree in law and he started as an assistant district judge in Berlin. And he was very outspoken against Hitler and the Nazis as they were beginning to gain influence. So much so that eventually it became clear that if he stayed in Germany, he was going to lose his life. So he left. He got a uh, fake passport to get out of the country. And he eventually went to work for Walt Disney for a while as a lawyer working on his contracts and deals throughout Europe. And as we got closer to World War II, Bob Hartman was convinced that it wasn't going to be a good place to cut licensing deals for Disney. So he convinced Walt Disney to let him be responsible for Latin America. So he moved to Cuernavaca, Mexico, where he met a couple other famous people. One is Eric Fromm, a famous pop psychologist from the 60s. 
and Abraham Maslow, who's famous for the Maslow hierarchy of values. Well, Bob Hartman, through watching the organization of evil, had a deep, deep discontentment about what he saw happening in his homeland. And he said, there's got to be a way that we can organize good as well or better than Hitler organized evil. And because he was a lawyer, he first looked for it in the law. He recognized that the law is neither good or bad. It's neutral. The law is used by good people for good purposes, and it's used by bad people for bad purposes. So then he started to study philosophy, and that eventually led him to a breakthrough in thinking about just the ability from a philosophical point of view to define what good is, and then from there he began to develop what he called the science of formal axiology. So one of the things that was fascinating to me about this when I studied it is he says that for the natural sciences, we have mathematics as a structure of logic that helps us understand things. So we have astronomy because we have mathematics. It gives us the ability to measure. Before that, we only had astrology. Or we have chemistry today because of mathematics. All of us who've taken a chemistry class know that a lot of it's math. Math is that logic structure that helps us to understand the reality around us. The stars didn't depend on our math, but we depend on our math to understand the stars. So Bob Hartman said, why can't we come up with some kind of a logic structure for the social sciences, like psychology, sociology, business management, that would help us to understand people with the same kind of precision, with the same kind of capability of measurement that we understand the natural sciences. And that led to formal axiology. Hmm. And what sparked your interest to gain as much knowledge as you have? Yeah, you got to think, why would a guy who's been involved in business leadership for over 45 years take an interest in what a philosopher is writing about? Well, part of it was that the first time I was exposed to formal axiology and I looked at what it actually means, and we probably ought to break it down in a minute, Mm -hmm. I began to say, wow, this is an interesting tool to use in understanding people, teams, and businesses. And I began to explore it more. I began to, I became a member of the Hartman Institute at the University of Tennessee, and I be, began to read Hartman's works, at least those that he wrote in English, because he wrote in about six different languages. <laughs> and I began to recognize this is an amazing way for us to think about business and to think about individuals in a way that helps them to accelerate their growth. And so I eventually became a master axiologist studying under one of Bob Hartman's protégés, Dr. David Mefford, who unfortunately we lost a year ago. But David was a tremendous friend, and for five years every Saturday morning he and I were on the phone, and he was teaching me the fundamentals of what axiology is and how you can apply it to business and how you can apply it to developing leaders. So how does it relate to leadership? How do you see it in the in the big picture? So so what Bob Hartman said is axiology is the study of value, and as he began to look at it, both from a mathematical and a philosophical point of view, he said there are three different dimensions of value that are unique and distinct that we need to take into consideration. The first one is the dimension of thinking, the dimension of abstract ideas, or he called this the systemic dimension. It's the dimension where we imagine something before it becomes a reality. The second dimension he called the extrinsic dimension, and it's the extrinsic world around us. It's the dimension of getting things done, or the dimension of activities, 
or results. And then the third dimension that he identified as the intrinsic dimension, he said, this is the dimension of people. People are infinitely individual, unique, complex. And he said, we really can't compare people to any other part of creation because of their complexity, because of their ability to choose, because of what makes them human beings. So he said, you've got these three different dimensions. As I read about that, I recognized that any good business or any good organization starts with a good plan. That's what he called the systemic dimension. So how strong is your plan? How clear is it? How well thought out is it? How predictive is it of what the future will bring? The second dimension he called the extrinsic. I said, oh, this is the dimension of the results we get. This is the process. This is our products. It's our supply chain. It's our assembly line. It's our sales results. This is the dimension of practical, tangible things. And so I can evaluate a business quickly by saying, how well are they actually performing? And then the third dimension, he identified the intrinsic, the dimension of people. I said, oh my gosh, in a business, this is the dimension of talent and culture. How strong are your people? How well aligned are they for the work that you want them to do? And how strong is your culture? Is your culture helping you to set, to fulfill or execute your plan? Or is your culture working against you? So I saw what he was teaching from a very academic, intellectual point of view as very practical when I think about how I evaluate and help a business to quickly grow. And then I began to recognize, based on continuing my reading of his work, that you can actually do this with the individual as well. The systemic dimension of an individual is what is your picture of your ideal self? What is your picture of who you ought to become? And then the extrinsic dimension of the individual is what are your roles in the world right now? What are you doing? What are you responsible for? How well are you doing it? How much are you enjoying it? And then the intrinsic dimension for an individual is how well do you recognize your uniqueness, your individuality as a human being? How much are you enjoying the fullness of who you are as a human being? Do you completely get your satisfaction just from your work or from your pay or from your roles? Or is there something deeper, something for what he called the spiritual dimension of how you see yourself as a spiritual being? not just as a father or a worker, but as a person who has infinite potential for expression because you're a human being. So I saw that when it comes to business, axiology was a great tool for analyzing and building value inside a business. And with a leader that I'm trying to help, it's a tremendous tool as well because I can have those conversations with a leader about who they think they ought to become, about what roles they're in and what's working and what's not working and how much are they enjoying it and about are they taking time to really explore who they are as a unique human being. Hmm. So it makes sense when you lay it out like that, but let's talk about the practical application and how we start, uh, because it's going to take practice in order to start thinking like this on a regular basis. Yes. And I definitely recommend people will probably need to go back and re-listen to this podcast a few times. It's it's like a really good movie. You go back and you watch it and you'll pick up something new that you missed the first time through. So, so bookmark this podcast, come back, listen to it a few times, but let's talk about the practical application, what that looks like and how we start putting this into practice. So let's start with the individual. Okay. So if you want to use axiology to develop yourself as an individual, I recommend that you begin by journaling, build a list of who do I think I ought to become? 
one and of the you're ways... not talking about somebody not modeling after person. somebody else. No, but what should I become in terms of my character? What, how, the, the way that I govern myself, the way that I develop my capacity for learning, the way that I develop my capacity for achieving in the future. What is the picture of my ideal self? Another way that sometimes we encourage people to do this is we say, you just walk through the door and you're, you're at your 90th surprise birthday party. I don't mean that you had 90 surprises, but your 90th birthday party and it's a surprise. Mm-hmm. And you have people at that party who have known you and watched you and walked with you for at least 40, 50, 60 of those 90 years. And one by one, they get up and talk about what kind of a person you've become, the person that they know today who's 90 years old. How would you want to be described? What would you want them to say about you? That's a great way to develop a picture of your ideal self. And much less morbid than writing your own obituary. Yeah, that's right. I heard the obituary exercise, and I thought it's much better to have a birthday party. Okay. (laughs) So that's step one. Think about who should I become in the future? The second step is look at your roles. So first make a list. Again, you're journaling. So make a list of the different roles I have. So right now, Dale, you have the role of father and husband and son and brother. And you have the role of executive and you have the role of a coach, a presentation coach to people. And you probably have some more roles I haven't thought of. And for each one of those roles, think about what do I do well? What could I do better? What do I enjoy in this role the most? What do I not enjoy? And how well do these roles fit together with each other? These are all the journaling exercises that you can do that will gradually bring more megapixels to the picture you have of your roles, to your role awareness. And they will often provide the foundation for you thinking about how to improve those roles or when is the appropriate time for a role to change. Now, I hope as a father or brother or son or husband that those roles aren't going to change, but career roles do change over time. Even if you stay in the same company your whole career, your roles are going to change. And when you think about those roles, one of the ways you can think about your career roles is to ask, what are the key results that reflect superior performance in this role? What are the three or four or five results that if I got these results, I would feel like I had performed at a super performer level and people around me would be amazed at what I'd accomplished. It's another way of developing your role awareness. So that's the second part. The third part is your uniqueness as a human being, your unique individuality. So journaling again, think about how many things can you write down about yourself that you know are unique to you? And how deeply can you go in feeling your humanity. One of the ways that we encourage people to develop a deeper level of this, we call this sense of self. We encourage them that whatever stirs your emotions, set aside time to enjoy more of that. For me, oftentimes when I get on an airplane and I put on my my, uh, earphones so that I don't hear the jet engines, I love classical music. And there's a set of about 12 songs that impact me at a very deep level. And at the the end of a long week when I'm headed back home, often I'll put those on and I'll close my eyes. And even though I'm at 35,000 feet in an airplane with people bumping me on my side and and all all kinds of reasons that I could be unhappy with where I'm at, I go to a different place because I go to my humanity. 
not to my circumstances. So for some people, it's music. For some people, it's art. For some people, it's going out into the mountains. For some people, it's sitting in a church. For some people, it's a devotional experience. Whatever it is that takes you to that deeper level, the, the real key to sense of self is not just thinking about it, it's experiencing it. And when you get around somebody who's developed that part of who they are as an individual, you know right away. Because there's a certain kind of energy about them that they change the room when they're there. That's developing your humanity, the unique part of who you are as a human being. So that's the person. We can go on and talk about how you do the same thing in a business if you'd like. Let's do. Yeah, okay. So step one in a business is take a look at your plans. Do you even have a plan? (laughs) A lot of businesses say, well, the world's changing so fast around me that there's no good doing a plan because once I get it done, it's obsolete. Well, that's true about a lot of the tactics. But the foundation of a business plan has to do with why are we in business? Who are our customers? What do they want from us? How are we doing delivering that? And what could we do better? That's part of planning. Some of it's about not only who are our customers, but who should our customers be in the future? Why should we be in business in the future? What will our customers? So you can take those five questions I asked. What business are we in? Who are our customers? What do they want? How are we doing? What are we going to do to improve? You can take those five questions and make them all futuristic. I'll slow down and go through those one more time because people are taking notes. So what business am I in? Yep. You know, the railroads used to be the dominant transportation force in the United States of America. And because they were convinced that they were in the railroad business, they gave up their place in the marketplace. They didn't realize they were in the transportation business. And that happens over and over and over again in businesses. They get stuck with their tactics and they lose the bigger why. Why are we in business? So what business are we in? Who are our customers? Number two. Number three, what do our customers want from us? Number four, how are we doing? Are we delivering what they want from us and to what extent? And number five, what are we going to do better? What are we going to do as a result of this plan? So there are a lot of different ways to think about a plan for your business, but that's one of them. We say that in spite of the fact that the world around us is changing faster than ever before, a business can still know its soul. And the soul of a business is why it's there, what its vision is, where it wants to go in the future, even though we might not know all of how we're going to get there. Where do we, in other words, what ought a business become? And then what are the values that are going to drive the way that we do things? What values are we going to aspire to? Are we going to commit to in how we do our work? I know some people develop core value statements and they put them up on posters around the around their uh, facility and I'm always a little bit nervous because I think sometimes people think if you put it on a poster, that means you've done it. Actually, if you put it on a poster, it means you're more accountable because you're going to either be viewed as somebody who's authentic and genuine and living your values, or you're going to be called a hypocrite. So that's a part of the business plan, the organizational plan. The second part, what are our results? What are we getting done right now? And that's everything from looking at your financial metrics, looking at any other kinds of tangible metrics that you can look at, but it's also understanding your processes, understanding where the bottlenecks are, understanding where you're running into obstacles, understanding where there's unnecessary waste, understanding what's actually pleasing your customer and what's not pleasing your customer, because a lot of times we waste a lot in this extrinsic dimension of getting things done because we do things the way we think they ought to be done instead of listening better to our customers. 
and realigning what we're doing to satisfy what creates value for them. So that's the second part. That's the extrinsic part of using axiology in business. Now, the intrinsic part of using axiology in business, if you remember, that's about talent and culture. So the first question is, do I have people in the right roles? How do I know I've got them in the right roles? One of the greatest ways to know is if you're spending 70 or 80% of your time focusing on what they're doing well, and only 20 or 30% of your time focused on them getting better. You know, everybody says it's important to get the right person on the bus in the right seat. That's what Jim Collins coined in his book, Good to Great. And yet, the vast majority of businesses that I work with, when we first meet with them, they have no idea how to do that other than subjectively. Well, I, 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 th- I think they're in the right seat. So they just play musical chairs. They put somebody in a seat and when they don't perform, they think, oh, I put them in the wrong seat and they move them. They don't have any way of understanding how to get them in the right seat to begin with. So part of axiology is developing a clear understanding of the individual strengths and weaknesses and how do we organize around their strengths and doing that throughout the entire organization. Now, we do know that there are certain positions that are mission critical. As a matter of fact, research says that 10% of the positions in any company are mission critical. If you get the wrong person in the seat there, it puts your business at risk. And so we want to make sure that we start there, but eventually we want that to cascade throughout the entire organization, that we know that everybody's where they are because they're in the right seat. I work with global companies, Dale, and they regularly move people around for experience without any idea of whether or not they're putting them into a seat that they're going to fail. It's called the Peter Principle. It it was a book written in 1967, I think it was. And the principle was that in large organizations, we promote people to their highest level of incompetence. (laughs) Not because we want to, but because we don't understand what we're doing. We don't understand that person is a unique human being and make sure that we organize around their unique strengths. Instead, we're trying to fit them into these spots on an org chart and we make a lot of mistakes because we put the org chart as more important than the individual. So then the other part of using axiology to develop value in a business is is around culture and cultures around how do we get things done. And remember the intrinsic dimension, which is what we're talking about here, is a deeper, more emotional, uh, more thoughtful dimension. It's a dimension that you experience, not that you just learn. So culture is not what you say your culture is. Culture is how things actually get done. And if your culture is not what you want it to be and you want to create new value in your culture, there are only two ways to do it. And they're both built on the idea that you have to change people's beliefs because culture is a function of beliefs. So how do you change people's beliefs? There are only two ways. One is you have to give them a different experience. You have to start behaving differently yourself. You have to behave or create experiences that are in alignment with your desired culture instead of in alignment with the culture as it is today. And the second thing that will help you, it's not as powerful, but it will also help you to shift a culture, is start telling stories that reinforce the way you want, you want things to be. You know, one of our common friends is a guy named Jim Zamzo who owns a, a big bunch of pet and garden stores around the uh, Treasure Valley in Idaho. Jim Zamzo is one of the greatest storytellers I've ever met. And for every problem that ever comes up with his several hundred employees, he always has a story to tell them. And the story always has to do with moving them toward the preferred culture about our ethics, about our customer service, 
about the way things get done or the way we want things to get done in our business. So that's how you use axiology for building the intrinsic dimension, which is talent and culture. Mm, fantastic. We're 25 minutes in, and this is uh, this is good, good material. So once again, I'm going to encourage folks, bookmark this one, come back, listen over and over again. I think you're going to get something fresh and new each time. Any closing words for us? We do have another conversation coming up in a, in, in a later episode of The Complete Leader, but any closing yeah, I'd thoughts I'd just like to mention that if people would like to read more about Robert Hartman and how he developed formal axiology, his autobiography called Freedom to Live is on Amazon.com, and it's available in Kindle as well. Okay. And the book title one more time? Freedom to Live by Robert Hartman. Okay. Fantastic. Ron Price, if you would like to reach out, speak with Ron, learn more about what he does and what he brings to an organization, uh, his contact information is in the show notes of this episode. He would love to hear from you. Also, we would love to hear from you. If you would go to iTunes, be sure to subscribe to this so you don't miss an episode. You pick, uh, you'll catch Ron's next episode with us. Uh, also, while you're there, if you would leave a review, just a few sentences to let us know how this impacted you. Also, a rating. Hopefully, we've earned those five stars from you. We would definitely appreciate it. And until next time, thanks for your time. And this is the Complete Leader Podcast. Everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.